and among old trees and parks and military compounds that grew behind unproclaiming gates. The road was mostly empty. The driver became emboldened and skipped a traffic light, then another. Nassim didn't stop him. She was absorbed in the radio. A female voice was lecturing its audience in a soft American accent on the perils and advantages of love. The voice laughed from time to time, and Nassim laughed with it, and brazenly, for she was laughing at the audacity and outrageousness of the concept. She slapped her thigh and shook. Radio, she said, with a fond nod toward the thing. Ah, yes, I said. Radio. We drove for some minutes in a radio expecting silence. So then, she said, how is America? America is well. I said, as though formally it wasn't. I wanted to say more, but the question was vast. Good, said Nassim. And how are your studies? My studies are very well. Very good. She paused, holding on to her strap, her smile one of accepting and continuing goodwill. You know, there is no place like Saudia. She'd been recently to perform the Hajj in Saudi Arabia. Really? No place like it in the world, she said, and gave her head a slow and solemn shake. Everything they have, KFC, McDonald's, anything at all, you name it and they have it. Really? Oh, yes. And the house of God? It opens up your eyes. Everyone is there, black, white, this, that, everyone from everywhere. Over here, I'm a servant. But over there, no one's a servant. It has such a feeling of peace that your heart fills up with tears. I kissed the black stone with my own lips. How does it feel? She blinked, trying to recall the experience. It took her a moment. Like a stone, she said, eventually, with a note of surprise. We passed a billboard on the bridge. It was advertising a new deal for mobile phones. The model was a local girl and had her shiny shoulders up in a shrug. One hand held her pelvic bone, the other pressed a phone to her ear. Her head was tilted and her enlarged eyes were startled. Where is everyone? I asked. Here and there, said Nassim. No rest in this time. But weddings will do that. Always, always it is madness. You'll see when you get home. No one is the same. The house was on its way. The paint was fresh and drying quickly on the outside walls. The wrought iron gate was sharp with varnish. The driveway, once lined with cracks, was smooth now and still shining wetly in places with newly laid asphalt. And the lawn was mown. A dense row of marigolds on its fringes gave it the feel of a real garden rather than just a plot of grass, while at night it became a rich, golden place, a revealed world of glowing depths and shadows, of dimensions and mysteries created by the positioning of hidden lights. The bride can't come right now, said my mother. It was morning and she was talking on the telephone to the tailor who was altering the blouse and wanted to have another round of measurements. This is no way. We have trusted you, and this is what you're doing. 
We could have gone to many other places, but we came to you, and this is what you're doing? This is no way. Eventually, my mother granted a time for the fitting, but insisted that the tailor should come to the house with the outfit. The bride was resting and would see him briefly, and then he would go back and stitch up the blouse and deliver it on the promised date. After settling with the tailor, she spoke to the beautician, again on the phone in the veranda, where she was sitting in a white wicker chair and leaning forward and rocking slightly with apprehension. The beautician was a detached Chinese woman who first wouldn't come to the phone and who then gave a weak and suspicious-sounding answer, an okay or a maybe that confirmed only the possibility of an appointment. And then there was a quarrel with the caterers, who hadn't included Diet Coke and Diet 7-Up in the revised order. My mother threatened to cancel the order. They insisted it was right. She threatened to expose them in the magazine she owned. And they backed off slowly, coming round to the need for an apology.